Hey, what's up? It's Michael Yo. Welcome to the Yo Show. Very excited today on the podcast. Um, gonna have a great comedian, Paul Verzi. But I just want to take care of some business first. Just want to let you know, I've been in Utah for two and a half months shooting a brand new TV show for Apple Plus. They haven't announced it. They're supposed to announce it this week, but I'm so blessed about that. But I will be for the first time performing in Atlanta, Punchline, my first time back on stage for two and a half months. So the show could go terribly wrong, but we will find out. Uh, it's October 22nd and 23rd, Atlanta Punchline. So make sure if you're in Atlanta or you know anyone in Atlanta, spread the word. Paul Verzi, what's up, bro? How are Yo, you? Yo, what's up, man? What's up, man? How you been? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Dude, I, I've been so good. Um, you know, I saw you in Utah the first time we actually met in person, probably about, what was it, like a month ago? Three yeah, weeks? Yeah, probably about a month. Yeah, and I've been out here for, it's going on two and a half months, and it's, you know, my family is in Vegas because we moved to Vegas after this, when this whole pandemic thing started, and, you know, going back and forth occasionally, but then this is like a big break for me on this Apple show, so you don't want to catch COVID. So. Right. Cause you don't want to be the one that shuts down production because I'm not the star. So they won't stop shit for me. They'll keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be the one where they're like the mumblings of like, yeah, who did it? You just walk in like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, just fire me now. Right. And that's what would happen. And so my wife is more aware of that than me. Cause I'm like, I want to come home. She's like, look, now we're on, we got two weeks left. So, you know, she's like, just stay there, finish it and then come back. How have you, and you, because you got two kids, correct? Yeah. How have you guys been handling this pandemic? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we all had COVID. We all four of us had COVID, um, you know, March 2020. Um, we had antibodies. We found out a couple months later. We didn't even get tested because we all lost smell and taste. And the doctor was like, don't go to the hospitals now because it's so crazy. So, um, you have it if you guys aren't smelling and tasting. So then a couple months later we gave blood. They said we had antibodies instantly. So that, that allowed me to like, kind of go out and feel a little safer, but still being careful. Um, then my son was able to get vaccinated cause he's 12. Mm -hmm. My daughter's now, nine. Now, now before nine. you, before you jump in, were you nervous? Like, because look, yes. Okay. You were now explain as a parent, because I have two kids and my son because I talked about this yesterday on a pod. My son is on the lower end, like at five. And in my mind, I believe in science. I believe in everything. I of got course. vaccinated. I, I would feel way more comfortable if my son was at the top age than the bottom age. Because it's like you're giving the same dosage to a 12-year-old yes, than to a five-year-old, which when you look at these kids, if you put a five-year-old next to a 12-year-old, it's completely different. So what was your thinking process? Uh, you know what? That's really smart that you're talking about that. And like a lot of people have this misconception of, you know, oh, does that mean you're questioning it? So you're anti-vax. And, and you know, I, I, I know people, it's a touchy subject. I talked about it on the special um, a little bit. And, and it's like this. I spoke to my doctor. Now my fear, because I know some doctors and I have friends of you know, who have family members who are doctors. So I was able to ask questions. And I think asking questions is all we could do. It's the smartest thing we could do is just at least ask questions because at least you're kind of getting the knowledge, right? Yeah. So one thing that even doctors were saying, which scared me and my wife, um, was younger children can get inflammation of the chest with the vaccination. 
So what we did was my wife has said, hey, you know, Lucas is getting his vaccination a couple of days. I said, well, before that happens, let's just talk to his primary doctor and find out about that inflammation. So the day before we got on the phone, she called him and she said, look, we're, we're nervous. Lucas is 12. He's at the age where he could get it, but he's just at the age. And he's a little guy, he's skinny, you know, and, and we want to know what can happen. And, and the doctor said, well, it's a great question. And yes, sometimes children do get inflammation. However, this is what he said. And this is what gave us a decision to move forward with it was he said, if he did get inflammation and some things happened in the chest that were bad, then if he got COVID, it would be real bad. Yeah. So, so, so when he said that and it was like, okay, so if something happens with the vaccine, but that means if my son got COVID, it would be worse Then it's like, let's protect him. And luckily he got the vaccination and everything was fine. So they did say, some doctors did say, if you get the vaccine, you're, you, it could cause lung inflammation. Well, it causes, yes, it could cause some chest and lung inflammation with, with some people. And, and you know, that that's unpredictable and, you know, children are still kind of underdeveloped, you know, and yeah, it could, 100%. it could, it could do that. But when he said that, if that did happen, that would mean COVID would be even worse. Then it let me know, let's protect them. And, and, and we made the decision. And, you know, I even, I even said on stage, you know, and then people got like this and, and then all of a sudden I just said, look, man, I decided to talk to my doctor, me and my family. And we decided after speaking to him to get it. I can't be mad at somebody that doesn't get it. That's afraid of, of something that could happen to their body. And these people that are really, really nervous, you know, and then, you know, the joke is obviously what, you know, friends that like, you know, that don't make sense, not getting it. He's got smoking yeah. packs of cigarettes a day and, and they're eating like shit and all that stuff. And they're worried about what's going in their body. Meanwhile, they're hurting themselves, but um, it's a touchy thing. I get people being afraid of their health though, and putting something in their body. Like I can't get mad at that. So I would, my suggestion and I, and it was just talk to the doctor and we really trust and like our doctor. And I think that's, yeah, an important we, I, I do too. Yeah. 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 And I know what you went through. So you have a, yeah. you have a doctor that you can probably call or talk to and say, Hey, look, doc, you know, this is not, that's the other thing too. People politicize it, but taking that <laughs> shit away, taking all of that away and just talking facts. I think that that will help people. Isn't it kind of crazy that we live in such like a, a, a politically driven society yeah. that they could take anything and make it political now. Like yeah. to yeah. me, to me in, I, when we talked, uh, I kind of went into this, but you hear that, Oh, I don't want to be a Guinea pig for this shot. This shot has way more evidence of working than right. when you go to the hospital. Cause if you go to the hospital with a bad case of COVID, they're still losing people. So yes. that shows you they don't know exactly right. what they're doing. And you're more of a guinea pig because there's a lot less people going into the hospital than dying than has been vaccinated. You know, right. you got close to 200, 300 million people that got or 150, 200 million people that got vaccinated in America. Over 670,000 people have died because they still don't know what they're doing in the hospital. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yes. And yes. this is vaccine is worldwide. But so my thing is, look. If you're an anti-vaxxer, good for you, but you just need to know the effects you're having on other people. But when I talked about this yesterday, like you said, people go, well, are you an anti-vaxxer? I go, no. My thing is, to me, you never, it's almost like working out. If you go to a gym, like a, I, I don't do CrossFit, but my doctor said you shouldn't do it because you can't have everybody exercising the same way because what if you have a hurt shoulder? What if a person has a weak knee? Exactly. And you're putting through everybody through the same system. My whole thing I said yesterday that eyebrows open up to it goes, my son's almost five, not even five yet. 
You yeah. know, he turns five in March, just turns five. I go, so do I give him a shot that you can give to a 12 year old? Because right. the age difference is so different. But I would go talk to my doctor, I would find out, but it just seems like the dosage would yeah. be the same as a 12 year old and a five year old where I, in my mind, I would go, I, if it ever opens up for children two to five or two to four, I would rather give that shot to my son than the 12 to five. So as a parent, I agree like, with that. I almost died from it. And I'm still like, well, that might be too much. Cause to me, you can't give the same amount to a 12 year old, to a five, but I don't know enough about it. So I need to research it. You know what I mean? But the no, first thought as a parent, you're like, yo, this, this is kind of crazy. I, I agree with that. It's like you're, you fought it and you beat it, but you're also a fully developed grown man. Yes. 100%. A, a, a five-year-old getting a regular dose of a vaccination is a scary thing. And anybody who would be mad at somebody being concerned about that is, is really not paying attention or just making it, you know, making it political, you know, and that, unfortunately, like you said, man, we live in a time where if you do or don't like the president of the United States and he eats a Hershey bar, <laughs> half the country is going to be throwing Hershey bars away. F that F Hershey, uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it'll be like a book burning at a, you know, just be throwing. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing that people just can't talk logically and have a conversation and, and, and be able to be open about it and talk to your doctor and do that. Instead, it's like, well, no, half the country says this and the other half the country says that. And, and, and li like you said, um, Michael, and I think it's the most important thing. Lives are being lost because even the medical professionals don't fully know. I mean, this is only this is only 18 months. To like nobody fully, fully knows. There's there's definitely more information now. Yes. But, but nobody, nobody fully knows. This thing is so new. Um, now, your nine year old daughter, I, I believe you were saying, did she get it as well or did you hold she, off on her here? I don't know if that, that they're saying that she needs to wait. OK, OK. So, so yeah, so she was the only one of us that was not able to, that was not able to get it. And as a matter of fact, and we did had they a, give a reason why she should wait. Um, I, we were told 12 years old, so I didn't know what you were saying. The, 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 um, the five-year-old. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. The new one that's coming out is they're trying to get it approved is from for younger. For younger, yeah, five to twelve. That's what I was talking about. Right, right. They didn't, yeah, they didn't. So for now, you got to be twelve as here, as okay. far as we know. So, um, but you know, we had a scare yesterday because she got real sick and oh, she no. had a low grade fever, and then I started sneezing a ton, and me and her both had the same thing. So we went to urgent care yesterday. Um, she got a COVID and strep test. I got a COVID test, and then we found out uh, late late yesterday that that we don't have it, but. You know, just had to be safe because she's the only one who's not back. So we got a little nervous. Isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. And I hear comics talk about it all the time. But it's really crazy how anything we feel that's off, we think <laughs> it's COVID now, right? Anything. It could be like you sneeze one time. You're like, oh, is that COVID? Yeah, it's if so funny. You, well. It's so funny you said that because uh, Giannis Pappas, a uh, really great comic, funny guy. He, he's, he's my neighbor. He lives six houses down. Okay. So Sunday I was at the house at his house and he had a little spread and we were watching the game. And at night I sneezed like three times and he looked over <laughs> at me and, and he was like, yo, man, you got, you got that COVID. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, my I think it's just the weather change. And then, you know, I ended up getting, but it's true, man. You get nervous now, man. I, I tell you, even like if you're, especially if you're on a plane and somebody coughs, oh, oh. man, you want to hurt them. <laughs> like literally you're like, yo, you need to stop. Yeah, and, and and if they do it more than once, 
Yes. Oh, oh my that's, goodness. That's I, I, scary. I swear. I, uh, you know, sometimes you have to sneeze. I've held it in so where it felt like my eyeballs were going <laughs> to pop out of my head and my brain was going to come out of my ears. Like, I mean, I held it so because you don't want to be that person, you know? No, I, I was holding it in and making my back crack. <laughs> <laughs> I was lit because, you know, because like you said, after two, people are oh. like, oh, this person's sick. Yeah, after two sneezes on an airplane, you need to grab a parachute and jump out. Like, literally, they should have an eject button. If you sneeze more than twice, eject uh, button, you're out of the plane. <laughs> yeah, put them in the bathroom for an hour. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> put them in the – that's the quarantine, the bathroom. What about all these people, like, that are just – getting into fights on planes now this is ridiculous too man i was thinking about that and i'm going you know i keep seeing the videos of it i've never i think one time and all the time it was more of like a seat issue yeah. like a like a sitting down like oh, a move here or this person moved here but i mean some of these but I, let's be honest though let's be honest and i'm not trying to but it seems to be on frontier or spirit a <laughs> lot more than other ones it's like yo you got the ticket for 16 dollars. it's like just sit anywhere my mother-in-law, there's this <laughs> trick that I learned with spirit from my mother-in-law. Right. Is she, we used to live in Los Angeles. She lived in Vegas. She would fly on spirit. If you go to the counter to spirit, yeah. you can get a penny flight for one penny. Wow. And I was like, anytime you can fly for a penny, that is not safe. <laughs> that is not, you do not fly anywhere. For a penny. So you, if you go up to the desk of Spirit at the airport and say, I'm flying such as a, you could get a great deal. But I mean, I, no. I, I, I can't trust Spirit. I can't trust Frontier. I'm a Delta person myself. I'm a, I'm a Delta person too. And, and like, I look at it like this, like you said, like if I go to a restaurant and they're like, yo, steaks are two bucks. <laughs> I'm like, where's that meat coming from? Like that, <laughs> that is not Kobe beef. That is not good meat. No, not at all. You like, get what I, you pay for. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, man. Like, I, I can't deal with it. The only time I've seen um it was all it was on Southwest, and Southwest is not as bad as Spirit, but no. it was sometimes they oversell. And yes. I guess they asked the person to get off because they needed to. Yeah, it was this thing where they wanted a person that was already seating, sitting in a seat. Or no, this was a different, this might have been like American Airlines. They already had a seat and they were assigned, but they double booked that seat. So the person, but that was understandable. They were like, no, no, yeah. it's your problem, you know? So, right, yeah, yeah. That's the only time I've ever seen something go down in a plane. I've never been on one so far, so. I was, um, I was walking through. I made the mistake of telling a pilot. So I went, I showed up to an airport. I don't know if I was in, um, I might've been in Atlanta or somewhere I was. And, and there was a pilot next to me at a cafe. And for some reason it was empty. He asked me a question and I asked him a question and he started talking to me about some city he was flying to. He asked me what I did. I told him comedian. And it just happens to be that his wife is now starting to do stand up. Okay. So, so he goes, oh, my wife, she got on stage in Atlanta for the second time at some contest. And I'm just, and we start talking. Next thing you know, he was so, and I'm fascinated with aviation because I used to be afraid to fly. Yeah. 
So from 05, I started to really fly, but before then, but I learned everything. So now he's fascinated with comedy. I'm fascinated with aviation. And me and him just start walking to my gate together. And he goes, I'm going to walk you to your gate. Let's talk. Okay. And I'm just talking to this pilot. And so as we're talking, I said, what are the craziest, you know, you've been doing this 30 years. First, I asked, do the, do the planes fly themselves? And he said, pretty much even now to like landing. He's like, but oh, wow. I like to take over because it's like the only fun part of the job because otherwise we're just sitting there. Then I said, like, have you had some crazy things on a plane? He said, like, one dude was drunk. And he said he put his hands through the seat and started groping a woman from behind. And, and then when they asked him, he's like, no, I was just. And they, like, had to kick him out. And, like, and then he said, I don't think he said anybody ever tried to get in the cockpit. But he told me in all the years only a few incidents. So to your point, where are all these fights out of nowhere coming from? I think, man, I think it's, I think a lot of people too have, are scared. And I think that they're dealing with things differently. Like I think people are. But most of it, let, let's be honest. I know we, we're trying to be PC to a certain level, but most, it's mostly about, I don't want to wear a mask and people get mad yes. about that. You know, it, yes. it's kind of like, like it's so, and to me, to me, this is just my opinion. It's, you know your privilege when you say they're taking away my freedom when you're tr just got to wear a mask. Like when you go through the history of yeah. what people of color have gone through, you know, and you're like, you're taking away my freedom because I got to wear a mask. It's like so privileged to me at that point. You know, it's like, man, people have been through a lot worse, a lot worse. Well, you know, I have some family members that are very... It's funny. I have family members on, on, on both sides. My Me wife, too. my wife and I do too. And, and, you know, and I, I try to put my, you know, myself in everybody's shoes and try to see where they're coming from. But, you know, I have a family member who I love very much and they were like, you know, I don't want to wear a mask anywhere. And I just said, I go, listen, man, I said, if you go into a supermarket for 10 minutes just to pick up cereal and shit, like, does it matter that much? Like if, if you, if you just walk in no. there with it for 10 minutes and get it. And here's the other thing things were done. Ma Remember the three weeks where it was done? Yeah. Masks mm -hmm. were done. Like I, I, at one point I remember like at the third week of like when COVID was done. Yeah. Before Delta and I'm going, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's over, it's over. And then obviously Delta came and then people are like, see, but like, I, like I said, man, I, I just look at numbers and I just want this thing to go away, but I understand everybody's point of view. But at the same time, I agree with you. It's like, you could wear the mask just to, cause let's just say, and, and this is when, and if anybody gets mad at this, I think this is the best way to talk about it. Okay. My mother had uh, stage four cancer, um, in the nineties, luckily a test drug from the Dana Farber Institute in Boston is the reason my mother's around today. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was in stage four bad. Now, when all this shit went down, Dana-Farber Institute called my mother and said, look, your immune system is compromised. You've been on pills that have killed and made the cancer at bay for many, many years. That being said, this thing can hurt you. So I look at there's a lot of my mothers walking around. So yeah. if putting a mask on in a supermarket for me can save somebody like my mother because I'm strong and I already fought COVID and, and fortunately, knock on wood, beat it. So great, the same way you did. But if I'm walking in a supermarket and somebody like my mother is next to me and I do have the virus and I give it to them and then they're in ICU or die, I look at it like that little time with the mask is yeah. fine for me. It's yeah. fine for me. And that, that's that's what I say to people. And it's like, again, it's it's like these two things like freedom. And, you know, I had a, a party of eight cancel my show at the Wilbur. I'm, I'm doing the Wilbur Theater 
um, in Boston on October 22nd. Okay. Guy hits me up and goes, Verzi, man, love you. Big fan. Unfortunately, we had eight people going to your show. And now we had to cancel because they wanted vaccination proof or a negative test within 48 hours. So jokingly, I just went back and I never really go back to fans, but jokingly, I went back and I go, Hey man, rapid test is like five minutes. And then he came back and goes, it's about freedom. It's, and then I'm like, all right, then I'm done. Then I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At that point, it's like, then you're not even like, they're not even telling you, you have to get vaccinated. They're not, see that like, that's the part that they're not listening to Michael. It's like, you're not even, they're not saying go get a shot or you can't, they're saying, okay, Run to CVS. If you want to see my show, run to CVS. They're going to do a swab. You're going to get a text message. I took my son to a Knicks game and it was 15 minutes. Yeah, 100%. They're, they're not even, they're saying just get a test 48 hours before so we know you don't have it. But you're like, it's taking away my freedom because I could have it, but I still want to go. You know, it's so, <laughs> people are so Why? selfish, man. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? 100%. I, I, so I want to jump into your comedy. Like, it, it, because, what I love about your story is like every time I see you, you're on a clip with Bill Burr or you got so many different comedians on your own Verzi Effect podcast and, and different types of people. But like, how'd you start in the game of comedy? So um, I I was always a distracted, um, you know, funny kid could tell stories, came from a broken home. Parents got divorced, moved around a lot. So I would always be like the new kid. But then when I was a new kid, I would get popular and people liked me. But um, I remember just Eddie Murphy was really the reason. Um, In in 1987, my dad took me to Raw in the theater and um, my grandmother, I tell the story many times, my grandmother and mother is like, you can't take him to that. And it was raw and I was like, it was 87. So I was probably nine, 10 years old. And he took us and I remember just like, that was it. Yeah. Um, so then just as I moved and I had to adapt and make friends and get popular, I would tell stories and people would just laugh, laugh, laugh. So long story short, a buddy of mine who was in construction hit me up and said, hey, I walked past this bar in Woodstock, New York, and they're doing Tuesday night. So we drove up there and it was an open mic and, you know, I didn't have anything written, so it didn't go great. But the neck, I went up to the guy and said, book me next week. And then I had stuff written. It went well, started calling New York city clubs, doing bringer shows, new stuff. And then, uh, yeah, like six years in, I got my first manager and then he's like, let me ask you this. When did you know, like you felt like you, you could do this and it could be a career. When I first started doing like bringer shows and new talent nights, I remember we obviously we were new, so we all sucked. Yeah. But I was at the top of the guys that sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I remember people going, there's like a net, like I remember people going, man, you have a natural thing. Like there's a natural, like the way you talk, the way you tell stories, the way people are listening to you, even when you're not telling a joke. So I started to feel that and I started to have people go, man, I thought you were like one of the best of the night. And then that started to happen. Then I started to just find my way to get more shows. I did contests. Actually, Mike, I came in a lot of urban uh, I did Urban Rooms, Talent and Capone and and all all those guys, Rob Stapleton and all those guys um, would... um, have you on these shows. And I would be like the one white, one or two white dudes. And it'd be like, yo, this white boy's funny. Put him up. And I'd be in this crazy environment, 200 black audience members, arms crossed going, you better get funny now. Yeah. You know? And, and so doing that and doing contests. And then I ended up getting clips 
sent him out, got my first manager. What year was this? What year was this around? So, so the contests and so my first open mic was, I mean, 2099, I did one, but I didn't okay. get going. I didn't get going. And I would say until probably like, Oh, three. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And then, and then that's when I started to go. And then in Oh five, um, Thanksgiving Eve, I opened for Bobby Kelly, but he left. And then Burr came in on the Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving. Oh five. And he, it was like his first Opie and Anthony. It was like Bill's first time, like where yeah. they all came for him. And I was super nervous and he came up to me and he goes, dude, were you, were you the other guy on the show? And I go, yeah. And he goes, dude, you ripped. He goes, I was downstairs. Like he goes, I heard it. I'm going to, I'm going to watch you. So then he watched me. Then he referred me to the stress factory, heard that I did good there. And then uh -huh. he, and then in like, Oh seven, he goes, I'm doing the stress. Factory. Why don't you come with me? And then we just started shooting the shit. And then, you know, and then the rest, then I just started to get passed in New York and I started to get clubs and, and that's pretty much how it started to go. But you know, Bill, Bill was a guy that like, he was on his way up. We were friends before he like, so it was, it was like, he just started it was going. Genuine. It was genuine. And that's, what's great is yeah. that's what, I, that that's what I missed because I started so late. You know, I started when I was like 35 and, uh, I, you know, I, I was serious about my wife and I, I, sure. I never, it wasn't the, I never got the hang to get to yeah. know comedians. I'm getting to know comedians through this podcast and just going out to shows and meeting them like that, which, it's so cool that like you got to experience seeing all these comedians come up. And usually what happens is I started the music in the music industry early where I was a radio DJ and music director. Now all my friends that were local record reps are now running the companies, you know, right. like running. Yeah. I, and yeah. it seems like 20 years later, that's what it is for comedians too. Like all the people you came up with now they're the biggest people. And that must be very cool to see. Yeah. But you know, like you, and I think a reason why certain comedians took to me was because I did what you did, where I was with my wife. I wasn't a guy that really hung and drank. I would like try to like I wanted the people to recognize me for what I was doing. But like, you know, not having a family was never part of this. I was always yeah. going to have a family. Yeah. So so me and Stacy were together and we had little ones and I would go home. And I remember there was some times where I was like, man, these guys are out drinking tonight. I could be doing that. But the family was always first. And and I think you did it right. And I, yes. and, and, and I know we did it right. We did it right because all that's bullshit that goes away. Yeah. You know, your, your wife and your kids like that. That's the most important. So for me, I wanted to find the balance of being able to be, you know, get great at what I do and really, really hone the craft. But but have my family feel me home and do that. And it definitely takes a balance and a sacrifice. But, you know, fortunately, over the time, I was able to figure that out. And I think you did it right. And, you know, a lot of people worry about the time they get in. I've had people go, man, I was in my late 30s or, you know, I don't know what to do. Everyone tells me I should get on stage, but I'm 41. I go, listen, man, if you if first of all, Mike DiStefano, rest his soul, the, Mike who passed away. Mm hmm. He was 32 when he started. The guy was HIV positive. He was an ex-drug addict. He saw death. He saw all these horrible things. And from the day he got on stage, he said he had a voice. All right. So somebody like you, who you got on stage at 35, but you kind of had perspective of life. Yeah. You, 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 you had that perspective, man. You had the woman that, you know, you're, you're, you're growing a family. You probably learned so much working in radio in, in this business through the other way. So now when you go on stage and you're talking, it's not just like a 21 year old going, yeah, you know, 
my, my mom caught me jerking off, which happened, which was one of my first bits. Because, yeah. but, but there's no, there's no substance. But that's all you know back then. That's, that's all, all you know. You know, Pete Davidson is a good friend of mine. I remember watching Pete when he was on stage, 17, 18 years old. And when Pete would go on stage, it was, but he was actually smart enough to know because the the, the stuff that Pete went through, comedy helped him. So I think yeah. he saw how to go up and maybe talk about stuff that happened with his dad and his mom. But you also watch a young kid talk about silly stuff because that's all we know. You had a life more. So I'll tell any comic or anybody listening to this podcast, if you are like, oh, I'm too old. It's not going to happen. Go on stage and just be you and see what happens. Th that mentality is not good. I don't think. I remember, you know, Joe Coy became my mentor early on and took me on tour. And he goes like, my first material was about family, like my, my parents, you know? And, and he goes, you know, what's amazing is you're starting where it took me 10 years to get. He goes, I was talking about generic stuff, and then 10 years in, I start talking about my mom and now everybody knows about my family. But he goes, that's what's amazing. You started what yeah. took me 10 years to get and you've been honing that. You know what I mean? So I feel that, you know, what I learned in comedy and if you listen to the podcast, you know, I said this before is people outgrow jokes, but they don't outgrow you. They have to be invested in you that's as a comic. You know, one that's 100 percent. It's like when you're talking and they want to watch you and listen to you, that's huge, man. And that can't be taught. And, and just knowing like, um, you know, in the brief time that we met and just knowing your personality and knowing the type of guy you are, it's very clear to see that you're a good guy and you're a family guy. And, and, but you're, you're also smart and you know that somebody like you, when you go on stage, you want to watch. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that can't be taught because I know some funny guys that go on stage and you're like, I just don't like this dude. Yeah, it's so true. But, but as soon as they come out, you're like, I don't like them. And that's, what's crazy. Some people are like that. Now, Anthony Jeselnik is different. I love him, but he has that vibe. But if he wasn't as good as he was, people well, oh, really hate that dude. Yeah. You, yeah. There, there's a certain thing where like, see, and that's another reason going back to Eddie Eddie had every, like Eddie could say like you were just so locked in yeah. and you could tell that he was, he was like, he's one of the few people that I've seen that you could tell is funny without hearing anything. You're just yeah. like, Oh, this, I don't know if it's a confidence. I don't know if it's a, if it's the smile, if it's the cadence, but there he's just has that thing and those things can't be taught. So then when you start talking relatable shit and you start talking about stuff like that, that's like, then, then people are like, not only do I like this guy, but this guy's talking about me. I remember, I remember one of my first times on stage, uh, like my first year, Russell Peters was at the, it was at the improv. I'll never forget it because I look up to Russell as well. And he goes, you're going to be big in comedy because as soon as you go on stage, at least people like you. He goes, you're very like, as soon as you go on stage, you're like, Oh, I, I like this guy. And that meant so much to hear. Cause anytime you get compliments from people you look up to when you first start, it sticks with you. You know what oh, I mean? Who's, who, who's one of the first people that complimented you on your comedy that you'll never forget. That's actually a great question. I remember being in the city and um, I was just so new. So I knew names. And I remember one time I, Judah Friedlander yep. was in, a, I was at a, I was at a urinal in the bathroom after doing a set and Judah had walked in. And I think this is right when he was doing like <clears throat> meet the parents and some movies and he was in the scene. 
And he just goes, dude, you're, you're real funny. I remember one time Jim Florentine walked up to me and he was doing crank anchors at the time. And I was doing a guest spot or, or he did a guest spot and I was on the show at the stress. And he goes, dude, you're real funny. And so I just remember guys that I like from afar would know now, all of a sudden they're coming up to me. And then Burr, Burr in 05, 06 had said something, um, and then, yeah, just hearing stuff like that and then having guys that like iconic guys go, dude, I remember one time, one of the first times somebody said to me, dude, Bill Bird just called you a beast on his podcast. And I, I like we I was just like, wow. But it was just I knew that the hard work and the sacrifice and like leaving yeah. my family and flying everywhere and taking those chances. I just was betting on that to really take me to another level. But it does validate when you get somebody you know, that's a big comic to go, you know, I, I, I just did my special taping and yeah, tell me about where, where was this at? Oh dude, man, it was, it was really nuts. Um, it was at, I did it at levity live in West Nyack. Oh, love that place. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they actually, when they developed that room, they built it for special, like to do specials like Rosie O'Donnell did an HBO special there. Um, Gina Brion did a special there. So, and it was kind of like with COVID they were like, where are you comfortable and one thing I did not want to do, and this is not against any comedian that does this, but the one thing that I did not want to do is I did not want to do my special in a comedy club looking room. Yeah, got you. You know, some comics are like, hey, we're going to have the cameras and we're going to do it. And I know I get it. it. You could do it for a decent price, but the crowd feels that. Like mm -hmm. I did my I did my first one in a nice big theater. Um, and then this one, I was like, where is a big stage that feels and looks like a theater, but almost has an intimate kind of like and then and and it was like wow man people went in there like dude this feels like a and the way we set it up it looked like a vegas showroom it looked really great nice um yeah man and we did the shows and it went amazing and the taping was was amazing uh directed by pete davidson and troy miller troy miller did all the brian regan specials and stuff and so to have them there and to say what they said about the hour and but then some other people heard and i found out oh man this comic said congratulations they heard those things mean something, man. Oh, yeah. things, it means a lot because it, it lets it lets you know that your hard work is paying off and people that also put in the hard work are going, oh, okay, like this is cool. Do you, do you notice, uh, and maybe it's because of podcasting? Yeah. And I, I look, I've only been in the game for 10 years. You know, you've been in a lot longer than me. But just in my 10 years of doing it, I noticed that, the community of comedy is more friendly to each other than when I started 10 years ago. 10 years, it was more like cutthroat a little bit. A lot of comics talk shit about other comics. But I, I noticed with podcasts now, everybody can survive because everybody wants everybody on their podcast. You know, there are there are podcast clicks, you know, like you got you got certain clicks and I get that. But that's always going to happen because those are the people they came up with. But I feel like comics aren't as like just cutthroat as they used to be. Maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm just at home with my family. I don't see it. No, I think you're right. And I think you nailed it. I think that you hit the nail on the head with the podcast community is like, look, it's easy to talk shit about somebody you're never going to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, e it's easy to talk sh and be like, man, you know, I don't like that. But if all of a sudden you hear from a friend, Hey man, I didn't know about that. You know, he or she, but she was actually like really funny and I had her on the podcast and she says something nice about you. And then you go, wait, Oh, so yeah. we all, cause we're all, listen, Michael, we're all insecure. We're oh, all yeah. insecure. We're all insecure about what we're doing. We all, we all don't want to be judged in a negative way. That's part of why we do this. Cause we want validation. So 
Then all of a sudden you go, oh, they said something nice about me. All right, you know what? I'll do a podcast with them. And then they're your friend. So I think more LA though than New York. New York is, LA has come together in a podcast community more than New York. Not that New York wants to talk shit about people, but it's a little different because it's um, the hustle and bustle of I'm running to this spot. I'm running to that yeah. spot. I'm right here. LA, I think you got like your three main clubs. And uh, you're going to see everybody. And you're going to see everybody. So I think it's much easier when you go out to LA and comedians are there, they're all there yeah. where in New York, it's kind of like you're running all over the city and it's scattered out, but now it is happening with more podcasts. So I agree with you. And I think, listen, I've always felt the, I, I will, obviously I won't mention a name on the podcast, but yeah, out of everybody I worked with, whether I feature for them or now that I'm headlining nationally and I have people that I work with, there's been like, two or three people that I'm like, all right, I could do without them. Yeah. You know? It's not many. It's, it's not, not many. many. It, it's, it, it really is a nice community. It might be damaged people and it might be insecure people. And, and we all have our stuff, but for the most part, deep down when you meet them, it's, it, I think they're good. Now, how old were you when you started comedy? Well, the first time I did an open mic, I was 21. But like I said, I probably didn't get really 28, 29. Mid-20s is when it was like when I actually started having a career. Okay. So what I noticed, and, and I think this because I started much later in life, I noticed, and just to see over my 10 years, when you first start the, the big insecurity of trying to be good, then once you, for some reason, eight, nine years, 10 years, it, it just clicks and you get it. You know you're funny. You know you can go out every night and and make people laugh. Yeah. You know, once you hit that mark, then I feel like you don't – and then you kind of earned your stripes, and then you're like, oh, I get it. I'm not – like when you're at the comedy store, a young person's mind is, I want to crush so it's hard for the next person. But then you get on these lineups and you go, oh, I don't even care if they crush. I'm happy for them. You know, that's how the mentality changes. Yeah, yeah. You're like uh... – I remember one time I was like first headline in B, like a B room in uh, North, uh, South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And the dude opening for me was a local radio dude. And he was funny, but he's doing local references. I mean, he's crushing. And I remember I'm pacing and I'm like, look, and like now I want everybody to do good. Yeah. Because I know what I'm going to do. So it's like, yeah. and I'm not going to change in a matter of f minutes. So... I'm going to let everybody and then just let my show come to me and just go out there and do what I do. And like, all right, man. And listen, one but thing you were nervous I, when that, that, that dude was crushing. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 But now, now I'm just like, Oh, okay. I remember one thing, um, Bill Burr, man. And this, and this is a testament to why Bill is so great. Bill always said, he always said, I don't want to, I don't bring cupcakes on the road. No, he no. never, Bill wanted you to raise the show because it would raise him. And I, I've learned that like when you, cause now when I see somebody killing before me, I go, Oh, I'm going to kill. Oh yeah. Where oh, yeah. when you're new starting and someone's killing, you're like, Oh shit, they're going to hate me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember, so I, I bring kill. Basically I always bring headliners that haven't been discovered yet. You know, like yes. they, they kill on their own. And for my first five, six years while I was learning it, I, I started this thing called Hot Mess Comedy, and I would bring like four or five comedians with me because I didn't have enough time. I would put myself in the middle of the show. But once I started headlining, I brought a couple comedians, and these dudes would destroy. And my I and they were in it for like eight, nine years, and I was in it for like my first two years. I started headlining at two years in because I was on Chelsea lately. So 
literally sure. no comic experience. The show was so big, I was selling out shows. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, right? So <laughs> it was, so I would put myself, but I had, once I started about two and a half, three years in, I started headlining. I brought this one comic uh, named Nick Guerra and he crushes. And literally after the show, and a lot of comics couldn't take this, they go, hey, Michael, you were good, but man, your opener destroyed. And the ego yeah. in me was never like, oh, well, I need to not bring him. My thing was in my head. I would never say this out loud, but now I can. I go, well, in my head, I'm going, well, he's been doing it eight to nine years. I've been doing it three. I yeah. hope he's better than me. But now when I caught up to him and then now I can do shows with anybody and yeah. and, you know, then it's about you. It, yeah. it feels good because if you don't bring killers, then you don't get better. You know? No, and, and that's a testament to you because I know a lot of people that did guy code and girl code uh, or people that I heard, you know, they did guy code and girl code on MTV and they would sell out rooms with that dynamic. And then all of a sudden after 15 minutes, the show would yeah. not be because, and, and it's almost like you said, you're on Chelsea and now you're selling out rooms, but you're not, but you know what? You worked at it. And you stayed with it. Some people will just be like, oh, I'm going to take the money and I don't care if this no. thing goes down. You were like, oh, okay, now it's time to let's let's build this together. And another thing you did, which is really smart, and I always tell young comics to do this, is create your own stage time. So when you did that yeah. hot mess comedy and you put yourself in the middle, you made a show and you got your stage time. So when comics are like, hey, what advice? There's no advice. It's, ex it's experience. Well, I didn't want to wait for people to give me stage time. So I made my own exactly. tour. And I would do it on Wednesday or Thursday nights exactly. uh, where the club couldn't say, well, we're packed anyway. So literally I would bring, I would fly from LA five committee. And this was when, this is what 2000, I was flying Darnell Rollins, Dalia, Brent Morin, like all types of Owen Benjamin before he went way yeah. right. <laughs> like I was, well, I was flying all these guys that were headliners yeah. and they were crushed. And I would put myself in the middle because I wanted to learn. So that's the thing I tell comics yeah. too, is you got to make your own stage time. If you wait, especially in Hollywood, if you wait for stage time, there's only three clubs and they're mm -hmm. going to book the big comedians first. And you might get some scraps here and there right. if yep. you're coming up, you know, and that was the whole thing. You got to make your own stage time where in New York, it might be more accessible because you got so many clubs out there. Yeah. And, 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 and I think part of this business is being good at business. You yes. know, a lot of comedians are like, man, I don't want to call that dude, even though he said to hit him up because I don't want to bother. And I'm going, look, if you open for a, a headliner and they go, hey, man, let me get your number. Hit me up anytime. You know what? Do hit that. him up and just go, hey, listen, I'm trying to work a long set. I see that you're going to Orlando. Uh, I'll fly there. I'd love to. And like when I have young guys do that, I'm like, yeah, and I don't want to bother people. It's like that you're not. That's part of the job. Like when you said Tuesday, I would call up a new, I would call up a club and go, Hey man, I want to put together a show on a Wednesday yeah. with my buddy. We'll, we'll book it. We'll probably have over a hundred people in there. You guys aren't doing much on Wednesday at seven o'clock anyway, you know, so we'll get more than what you would get. And, and then all of a sudden you do that, but you got to be good at the business, man. You got to call people and say, Hey, I'm yes. doing this. Bite off a little more than you could chew. If a club says, Hey, you got 25 and you only got 20 work that you know get in you know yeah that that's the whole thing is 
you know, I've been that guy too, where I'm scared to reach out to people and stuff like that. But then I was just like, I, after I started getting people on the podcast, if I'm in a market and somebody's in that market, like I'll just pop by, they'll throw me on. And I, in Utah, especially like so many comedians have come, come in and show me love, but this is what I'm saying. I do open mics here. Like you always got to hustle because when you're not doing stand up for yeah. two and a half months, like, and you got to respect the new comedians coming up that's at the open mics. So they're like, oh, you can do as long as you want. Yep. I do five minutes just like everybody else. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to abuse the time either. Yeah, I could do a lot more, but I'm also going to respect the comedians. So sure. people like the crowd, when I walk into the open, they're like, why are you here? You know, and I'm like, this is, I got to work. I got, I got to get my reps in, you know? Yeah. You're, you're doing acting and your, your time is tied up. So you're like, let me go in here and bang out five real quick. And if, like you said, even when it just gets those comedy juices going for a little yeah. bit, it's a big kickstarter. You need that. And, and what it's like, it's like working out because even if you do five minutes, it makes your brain think for days about comedy, where if you're not on stage, you lose that. You know, it's kind of like you just need that that poke to be like, and now for a couple of days after that till next week, I'm thinking about, oh, I should have done this. Oh, I can add this. You know, so that's what yeah. I love about it. No, it's it's so cool. And I got to tell you something, and I mean this, and I told Keith Stubbs this. Wise Guys in Utah is truly, I'm not just saying this, it's in my top two or three clubs in America. Oh, 100%. 100%. It is, it is an incredible room with an incredible staff, but like the way the, I just, it's, I find Utah is where a place where I told Keith, I said, look, I want to come here. You know, if I can get here more than once a year, I want to like, oh, yeah. like if you can fit me like this, I will fly. I know it's far from here. I will fly there. That's how good I think the scene is. That's how good that room is. I love it there, man. So you I know think what I love. Great place. I, I love that. It's like 50, 50 Republican Democrat, but they're yep. all open-minded. Yes. You know, and that's what I love. They're all open-minded to hear both sides and they laugh at both sides. Yeah. So you can go anywhere. And, and, you know, I worked, I worked there probably like what, three weeks before my special. Yep. And, and, and for exactly what you said, I'm like, I'm going to, they'll listen, even if they don't agree, or even if they're like, they're there for the jokes, which makes the room the best. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So about your special, do you know when it's coming out? So we're, we're actually, that's the funny thing is like, uh, I won't say we're, I have an amazing team. I have an amazing team. Okay. And, but I want, you know, a a holiday Christmas or new year's release. Um, we spoke to everybody. That's something that we're going to, we're going to try to do, but obviously there's more moving parts that are out of my control. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it's in the can. We just got the first cut now. So we're going to start finding out now I'm in this weird place, Michael, where, you know, I did like I did like an hour and six on the first set, and I did like an hour ten-ish on the second. Um, and there's gonna be a couple minute intro. So now I need to get rid of 14 minutes of my baby. Yeah, no, I so, got you. So now I'm like, all right, which to do? And here's the other thing: you have opinions, right? You got a director, you got a producer, you got a production team, and then you got me. And they're going, well, maybe this joke goes. And someone else like, well, I kind of like that joke. So that's kind of what we're doing now. Listen, good problem to have. Champagne problems. Good, yeah, champagne, good problem to have. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, that's my that joke is my baby. You but know, now you can carry it over to the that, to the next one. To the next you one. Know? That's 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 actually but, made me feel good about because my wife said that. And I'm like, oh yeah. What, what what's cool is I had to cut a, a couple jokes from my first special. 
And the ones I cut, they're so much better than they would have been in the special now because I found a, yeah. a, a perfect fit in home for them. You know what I mean? Yes. But I, let me give you a piece of advice. And I haven't been in it longer than you. Of course. But I will give you a piece of advice on dropping a special that I try to tell every comedian, unless you're like a Bill Burr, a Dave, where it doesn't matter, right? My advice is I dropped my special because mine was family oriented and they dropped it around Thanksgiving and it did great. It did great. So even Thanksgiving, Christmas, it was perfect. The problem is in January, when I still was on the road doing press for it, they said, oh, your special came out last year. It sound, and it's only been out a month and three days. And it sounded old. Ah. It sounded old. Because, because even though it, it just been out a month and a half, it sounded old because they would go, oh, so your special came out last year. Michael, this is why, this is why you know your shit. You ready for this? This is yeah. great. I can't believe you said that. So my manager, uh, my manager, Rory Rosegarden is awesome. He's been yep. with, I mean, Ray Romano, Brian Regan, all these guys. And I'm sitting here and, 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 you know, I'm kind of the bad boy of the group because those guys are super clean. And Rory said something to me with almost 40 years of experience in the business. And you know what he said? He goes, you know, early 22. Early 22. Yep. And and I think it's basically, basically what you're saying because you could have it come out Christmas Day and they'll be like, so last year. So so if it comes out Christmas Day, it's a 2021 special. It is. It is. And I found that. I mean, and it sounds when an audience is hearing that, they're going, well, I want to watch something old. Where if it comes out in January or February, oh, so your special came out this year. So for a whole year. That's great. It sounds new. That's 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 actually a really really good piece of advice. And uh, if my manager was listening, he'd be smiling and he'd say, "I told you, Paul." Um, but no, you're but, right, man. It was it was so you talk about deflating, like because they were just promoting it, you know. And they're like, I'll "Yo, be, we got Michael Yo here, man. He got a great special last year." You're like, "That yeah, was a no, month man, ago." Not, yeah, and that's why. And I would have to say, no, it just came out like in November. <laughs> well, yeah, last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So that's that's really my good. biggest piece of advice to anybody. Do not drop, spe unless you, it just don't matter and you're that big, drop it right. at the beginning of the year because then you could be doing shows that year in December and they'll still be like, oh, so your special came out this year. And so you've milked it for 10 months, 11 months, where I milked mine for a month and it was old, like after yeah. a month. The, yeah. only, the only fear that I have is while you wait and other specials come out, you just don't. Cause I remember when I was waiting for, I did this bit about on the first, on the first special, when I did, I'll say this comedy central, I did this bit about when you go to a rescue shelter to get a dog. Uh -huh. And I said, every cage has a story. Right. So then <laughs> yeah. I go down and then I'd be like, Oh, you know, this is Penelope. <laughs> you know, She's a lab. Great dog. Here's the thing, right? And and then as I would go down, it would get crazier. Crazier, yeah. Like she hates people with ponytails. And I would just keep going, right? All of a sudden, a buddy called up and goes, dude, so sorry, man. I guess you're going to lose that do that thing. And I go, what? Louis C.K. put out a uh, uh, put out the special that said uh, the name of his special was 2018. Uh-huh. He named it 2018, and it was on Netflix. And he did a joke about how his daughter took wanted to take him to a rescue shelter 
And he says something like, yeah, she hates pennies though. doesn't like pennies or something. And he did it quick and it completely took out my whole story. So the, and listen, obviously that's out of your control. So it's like, you just got to wait, but anytime, like I don't like to watch specials and anytime someone else just comes out, I'm just hoping I don't get a phone call where somebody's well, like, well, let, let me ask you about that. Let me ask you about that. Of course your two bits you didn't develop them at the same time. You never heard his, but right. you immediately, just because he mentioned something like it, even though yours went a lot deeper, you canceled yours. Yeah, because mine, and that's what sucked about it, because mine was like a two and a half, three minute bit. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it has act outs where I actually show up to the shelter. And they're going, here's the, and by the time I get to the third or fourth cage, I take it to this crazy place. People are crying, laughing. It's funny. What he did was he chopped it up and just was like, we went, saw this dog. She doesn't like pennies or something like that. And it literally was one of the, so it didn't oh, it make sense. Okay, got you. So it didn't make sense for me to try to cut mine up and get the parts he didn't get. So we knew that, okay, he's Louis CK. His came out, in, you know, his came out early 18. Mine came out November 18. Oh, so, so they would so, say, yeah. Okay. So we just, we just scrapped it. Yeah, of course. Like, Nobody's stealing any jokes. It is, is like, look, there's only so many topics, you know, that's why it's really important. A lot of my special is like real things that happen with my, that you could never even touch upon because it's well, like something that happened with me and my son playing basketball in the driveway. That it's a real story. And if it's something similar from another, it's a totally different perspective because that's what I love about real stories. Like you can say, well, I got a real story like that. Well, it's not my story though. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's what I love in yeah, it's interesting because when you get into the world of family, we all talk about the same things, just you, there's different angles because the thing I talk about with my family is not going to be exactly like we could talk about our kids being bad, right? but your kids are going to be bad. A totally different reason than my kids are being bad. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? And that's what I love uh, about the balance in comedy. So yeah, I, I can't wait till your special comes out. I wanted to watch it that oh yeah uh, yeah night, but i had to bounce because my family surprised me and came into town so oh, no i appreciated you even even popping in there but like for example your covid experience is a very unique one because it was so new it was so early you want to talk about people not knowing anything i mean you're talking about three weeks and shit and you're in there and you don't know if you're gonna so if you did come up with a bit about you being in icu the first week Nobody could take that. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, uh, it's turned into a 10 minute bit that crushes yeah. about me. And that's what's great about comedy. I take my worst time ever and make it funny. And that's how I want to open a special. Like, just no, like, it's not the applause coming in, it's just boom on me. And, and it, it kind of just rolls from there. And I start with that because. Because what they said, and I talked to a lot of people at different companies, and they go, if you can keep people invested in the first 10, 15 minutes of your special, that's a win. Because most yes. people average about 15 to 15 minutes. So my first story that's going to grow with applause is probably going to be like my COVID story, 12 to 15 minutes. And you cannot look away from that story. Like I've done it where the place is silent erupts in laughter, silent, because uh, they want to hear it because it's so real. But I also know I got to get it out quick. You know, even though COVID's going to be around, I want to get it out, the special yeah. out in January, February. How long is it going to take to edit up everything where it's good to go? How long I, in I, your... I think about two to three months. I think about yeah. two to three months, like the a week after they sent me the first cut. So now, oh, like I dope. said, now we need to go 
as a matter of fact, today and tomorrow, what I'm doing is looking at the first show, comparing it to the second show. Okay. Uh, it's Will a good cut. Will you intercut? I, here's the thing, man. And, and I'm very, very happy about this, but the first show went so well that when we were done, my agent, my manager, everybody there, Pete, Troy Miller, they were like, we got it. You can go home now. Go have fun. Yeah. And the second show, most of them thought was better. Oh, so, wow. okay. It's a, yeah. And, and people there were like, I did not think you could top the first one. And I was just like, my wife said, watch what he does on the second one. Cause it was, I knew it now. Cause I, I laid it down where I knew it was in the can. So now for the second one, let's go. So they said I had a little bit more oomph with certain yeah. things in the second one. So now I'm going to have to go bit for bit yep. and just see. Um, I think the majority of the special usually always ends up being one of the shows. Yeah. But if there's a certain way I said a joke on one, or if there was a cleaner way I said a joke on one, we could put that in. But hopefully like two or three months. And then I, like, I, I think an early 22, like, you know, would you, uh, now you're the, you said you're the dirty one out of the Ray Romanos and all that. Was there ever any pressure to kind of clean it up or your crew? Like, so, have you, have you thought about that where, you know what? I could say fuck here, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's, it's funny that you asked that. I've never told this story on a, I've never told this story on a podcast and, and I, I it'll be in a book if I ever write it, but okay, I'll tell you. Okay. So. I am, I really don't really have a, there was issues I was going through. It was in between managers and I end up going out to a very fancy restaurant with Rory and Rory says, let's, let's come out and eat. He had just, I guess he had saw, I'll say this. And, uh, you know, so we go out and eat and we're, he take, we go like downstairs to this, like a bottom of this steakhouse. And it's like super fancy. And like he, you know, and I'm sitting there talking to him and I know, I mean, I'm like, this guy has got two Emmys, this guy, you know, him and Ray and Brian Regan have been together for like 36 years and I'm eating a steak. And he just said something, he said, I'll never forget. I'm cutting my steak. I, I never said this before. So I'm giving it uh -huh. to you. I'm cutting a steak. And he just goes, he goes, man, he goes, there's, there's something about you that, that reminds me of Ray. There's, I see something there's, there's something. And I remember just like, I'm just cutting my steak and I'm like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I'm just thinking. And, and he said, and he did say, he goes, I watched your special man. He goes, thought it was one of the best ones I've seen on Comedy Central. And he goes, you cursed, you know, you cursed. And he kind of smirked and he goes, and I understand that, you know, Brian Regan doesn't even say peeved. Yeah. I mean, Brian Regan says peeved, not pissed. Yeah. I actually heard a story about Brian Regan where he got off stage and he was upset with himself because he said, I'm pissed instead of peeved. That's how clean he is. And now I'm eating a steak and I'm going, dude, I, I said some shit on, <laughs> but, um, and we talked about it and he was just like, we had a long dinner. And then the next day he called and he was like, man, I really want to, I really want to really work with you. I just wanted to sit and see the, the type of guy you are. And, and I'd love to work with you. And obviously I talked to my wife and had to think about some things, but so it was understood. Look, I, I love and appreciate everything that Ray Romano is. I mean, I met Ray. Ray's one of, I love Ray. Ray's standup is underrated. And I understand how clean Brian Regan is, but I'm kind of, I'm from a school of, you know, like I said, Eddie Murphy and, 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 and Richard Pryor and George Carlin. So I don't want to abuse language. I don't want to be over the top, but if I'm going to say something with a little umph, I'm going to say it like how I'm going to hang with my friends and say it. Um, you know, so, and he understood that, but that being said, Michael, I will say that if I can clean things up or like when I watch a bit and I go, ah, you didn't need to say it there, let's clean that up. So like, I'm always trying to 
cut out the fat and get get cleaner. But I, I me oh being like a Brian Regan, I just don't see see that. Yeah. Oh no, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Like, I I I it's just. It, I, I just can't be that. Like, I'm not that clean in real life, so I don't want to have to change myself for right. on stage. Because the whole thing about the beauty about being on stage is you once you get to a comfort level, you are yourself on stage 100%. Th- that's that's the thing. When you're on st- – when you and you're at the 10-year mark, so that's it. Like yeah. Once you get to that, it's almost like that's like a finish line of like not it, so not, not yeah. caring. But I remember I think it was like – Adrian Apolucci, great comic. She said something to me. I think she said Kurt Metzger said it or somebody said it and, it, and it. And it made sense to me where it's like, when you get to 10, you stop caring and not caring about your craft. You stop caring about, you know, you're funny yeah. and you stop caring about the outside noise. Like you, once you get that voice, that's it. And I got to be honest, I don't trust somebody that's a hundred percent clean, clean. Something, yeah. something is, something <laughs> is not a murderer. Something, a mass murderer. Is, something is not right. If you don't, if you don't get upset with something and you're like, fuck, like, yeah. I just feel like it's either bottled up. But like you said, you, when you're you on stage, when you're you, the crowd knows, oh, this is what this guy would be. If we were outside on a stoop drinking a beer, that's who yeah. this person is. That's what you want to be. Absolutely. Well, let us know when your special comes out, man. I appreciate you being on the pod, homie. Oh, dude, man. Anytime, man. Anytime. I got to get you on a Verzi effect, dude. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. The Verzi effect. Uh, also, uh, what what else you got to promote right now? So I got I got the Verzi effect podcast, which is myself. A lot of times I would say it's like 70 percent myself, but then 30 percent. I have a guest. We have a great talk like, you know, like uh, we got to do me and you got to do. Yep. I do the anything better podcast. Me and Bill Burr uh, do together. We talk everything, life. We talk sports. We talk comedy. But it's a, it's just a great hang with me and Bill. So we've been doing that now for, um, wow, like 30, 35 weeks this week. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, you could go to my YouTube channel. You can go to my Instagram. is at Paul Verzi. That's V-I-R-Z-I. My first special, um, I'll say this, my album, Night at the Stand. And the, the second special will be coming out. Uh, probably early 2022. So there uh, you go. Early 2022, early don't 2022, it, it. but they, they're, but they're not going to say next last year. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't say drop this it. Year. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, and buddy. also I want to tell you, man, I really appreciate all of the, the, the reach outs that you did. Oh, um, no. you know, you're a kind, you're a kind dude. You're a funny dude. And, uh, you know, you're somebody that, uh, you know, I consider a friend. So anytime Absolutely. you're in New York or, or we get up, man, let, let's do it, man. Cause, uh, you're, you're one of those dudes that I, I already know, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Same to you. And, uh, we'll talk soon, man. Later, man. Late.